We're in week two of this series called Drenched, and we are talking about that. We're talking about what it means to worship and what it means to be drenched in the power and the presence of God. And uh, this little video that says, I worship because, I wonder if you had to answer that question, I worship because. What would you say? I worship because uh, I'm supposed to. I worship because God is good. God loves me. I worship because, you know, he saved me. What, what would you say? And I think in that, um, we start to really start to ask our own stories about why we worship. You know, when I, was a, when I first started going to church, um, I actually started going to church as a teenager. I was about 14 years old, and the church we went to had a, a traditional style of worship. Anybody kind of have that growing up? You know what I'm talking about? And nothing, nobody else? Everybody grew up in, okay. Um, and <clears throat> so it was more of a traditional style. Nothing wrong with that, of course. That was the way it was, and, I, and I'm in no way saying that was less than, but what I, I had in those days was this experience of worship in which I came into church, I didn't want to be there. I had a story, right, where I didn't want to be there at first, but after time, over time, I grew to not only love Jesus, but I wanted to know him more, and I, and I wanted to even explore in the area of worship. And um, Now, worship in this church was a little bit different style than what we have here. There was a bulletin. You guys remember bulletins, right? There was a bulletin that you got every week, and inside the bulletin was a page number with the hymn that you would sing. You guys with me, all right? And so you would get, the, and the choir director would have you stand for the first two, and you would sing the first, second, and fourth stanzas. You know what I mean? You'd skip the third because it was just way too much. Like, you didn't want to, like, worship that much. And so it was like you skipped the third one. And for some reason, though, uh, on Sunday nights, Sunday nights, so back then you went to church a lot more, too. You went on Sunday mornings, and Sunday nights was a different service, and then on Wednesday nights. Are you with me? You know what I'm talking about? Like, Sometimes I wish we could go back to that, but that's another story. And there's, but there's Sunday nights where worship really went like crazy. You know what I'm talking about? Like the people that really wanted to worship their faces off came to Sunday night because that's where you would sing the first, the second, the third, and the fourth stanza. And if there was a fifth one, oh man, bring it! Like the house is coming down. You know what I'm saying? And and but it was so great because sometimes on Sunday nights, like I said, is where you really those who really wanted to worship would go because you wouldn't always just sing a hymn. Every once in a while, you get into a chorus. And when I was a teenager, there was like a song like, our God is an awesome God. He, you guys know this song? And when you sing that song, it was like you were in the throne room of God. You know what I mean? It was like, this is like intense. And then the choir director would occasionally say, I want you to grab the hands of your neighbors. You guys know this? And go across the aisles. Who did this? Seriously. And then if it was like really the moment, you wouldn't just hold hands. You would like interlock fingers and like go up in the air. And when you're a teenage boy, you were aware that this could happen on Sunday night. So you all, any girl that you had your eye on, you were making sure you're sitting next to her that night. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Worship on Sunday night was where it was at. <sighs> yes. So last week, we asked the question, why baptism? I think in the same heart, we can ask, why do we worship? What should we say? And shouldn't we be saying endless things to the question or to the thought, I worship because? And I want to begin today by looking at something we've talked about before. I want to talk about the story of God. And what I mean by that is I want to talk about the story of God because I think inside the story of God, we start to see some themes that are really important. And I often call this narrative theology. I've talked about this a number of times. There's some slides that are going to come up on the screen, and you're going to kind of get a sense of what I'm talking about. But we've called these different ideas that run through the scriptures. And you can go to the next slide here. If you go Genesis to Revelation, there's often these threads that run throughout the scripture. And almost like a jacket or a sweater that has a loose thread, when you pull on that thread, right, it, can, it goes through the entire sweater and it can, it can even unravel the sweater. But in this, 
in this, in this way, it doesn't unravel the scriptures, but what it sort of does is it unfolds the scriptures so you can actually understand what's going on. You can go to the next, next slide. And so inside this one, for example, this thread, we'll just call this, this is one of the threads you see through all throughout scripture, that God is on a mission. He wants to renew and restore all things. That's where it's all headed. This is one of the threads, and he would say, if I understand that thread, it unfolds the whole scriptures to me. There's another thread. You can go to the next one there. And this thread maybe is something like the radical grace of God. That God's grace, if you go from Genesis to Revelation, you're going to see all these examples of God's grace just popping up, popping up, popping up. And every time you see that, you're like, ah, oh, the scriptures are unfolding. That's why God did this. That's why this is happening. Or this last one, and these aren't the only three, these aren't the only three threads, but these are the three threads I'm just pointing to as examples. But the glory of God and our worship is another thread that you see throughout, running throughout scripture. And when you pull on that thread, you start to see the story of God unfold before you and you start to understand what's really going on and what God is really doing in this world. And so Isaiah 6 is one of those places you can take a snapshot, if you will, and it can help you grab that thread and you can start to pull on it and it will unfold the story of God right in front of your eyes. So I'm going to read this. It's Isaiah 6, starting in verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now I is... The author, Isaiah. Isaiah saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So that one sentence is quite staggering. He saw the Lord, and this is not normal, by the way. And what we're about to read is not normal. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces, and with two, they covered their feet, and with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Can you imagine this? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is a string you're about to pull, a thread. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. That sounds like another thread, right? Radical grace. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? What's he talking about? Perhaps he's talking about another thread, his mission, right? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. So this... This thread of the glory of God is, is a powerful one. And when we peek, even in this passage, when we peek into the presence of God, it is, it is not ordinary. It is not plain. It's not quiet. It's not vanilla. It's not, it's, it's not mediocre, casual. It is it's glorious, right? It is powerful. It's amazing. It's stunning. It's awe-inspiring. And what did Isaiah say? He said, woe to me. I am ruined. 
That's what happens in the presence of God. We don't come into the presence of God and go, wow, this is great. This is so neat, God. We don't, it's not like that. We come in and say, I am not worthy to be here. I am ruined. The hope of this series is that we are walking and growing in the presence and the power of God. That's what we're hoping to do these days. That's what we've been talking about for quite some time. The hope that we are drenched in the power and the presence of God. You know, God has been doing so much in prayer. I think some of us are aware of that. In one of the prayers that we've been praying, one of our corporate prayers, is that God would, would bring salvation, that people would come to know Christ. And just so you know, I mean, we're starting to see some of these answers, these, some of these prayers answered. Just in the last two, two weeks, we've seen three people actually come to us and say, hey, have they given their life to Christ? Not just raise their hands. We've had many more raise their hands just in the last two services. But we're seeing people coming to know Jesus. Just last week, we had 12 people tell us that they wanted to get baptized, meaning they felt like the Lord was prompting them that it's time for them to step in faith and show through publicly showing their faith in Christ that they are his. Over at Easter, we had over 500 people here, which is the most we've ever had. And we are seeing the guidance of God and the presence of God, and, and, it's, not, and it's seen visually through the, how he's moving in people. That's one of the things, right? And I just got to say, we must continue to press in and pray. We have to. I mean, there's really, I mean, this, this isn't something we just kind of say, okay, that was a really good kind of thing. No, we have to continue to press in and pray. We, we have to pray for the power of God to move in our lives, to continue to pray for the Holy Spirit to come on us like fire, for him to burn in us like he never has before. For us to continue to pray in desperation for the salvation of our friends and the salvation of people we know, to see revival happen, to continue to pray for the healings to happen, that we would believe in step in faith and believe in the power and the authority of Jesus to do the things that we can't do. And we must continue to pray for breakthrough. We must continue to pray that God would break through in our lives and we would see freedom. So I say all this to say, don't let the opportunity of our prayer room pass you by. Um, don't let it be dismissed by you. Don't let it be, oh, oh someone else will do it, or, or all the lines are full on that day. We can color outside the lawns here, just so you know. We can, we can go beyond that. Because we are hoping, this, in the same breath, I want to say, we are not hoping or, or, or seeking perfection in our participation. We are actually hoping for breakthrough. We don't want anybody to feel obligated. We want you to want to. Are you with me? We want you to want to in that, and it isn't about us, I promise. It's not so we can feel good. And I'm pausing on prayer for a minute, but I'm coming back around to what we just did. Because I want us to get at a heart of where we continue to be. This isn't about us and feeling good about what we're doing. It isn't even about you getting something out of it. It is about us. Are we willing to keep watching pray for one hour? And are we willing to seek God first and continue to follow in the leadings and the promptings that he feel like, we feel like he's putting in front of us corporately as a church? And so my question is, if you haven't prayed in the prayer room yet, um, why not? And I say that in a, in a hopeful thing because I'm hopeful that you would want to do that. I'm hopeful that would be something you would want to do in your life. But like I said last week, prayer and worship are best friends. They like to hang out. They like to hang out together. And if we're asking the Spirit to God to come on us like fire, if we're asking all these crazy things about salvations and healings and breakthrough, if we're asking these things, we're essentially saying we want the presence of God and the power of God to come on us, which what we just read is what happens in Isaiah 6, right? This is what happens, and it's not ordinary, it's not casual, it's not mediocre, it's this crazy, awe-inspiring sort of 
miraculous, glorious experience in which we see, we see Isaiah standing in the middle of all this saying, I'm ruined. Have you ever heard someone, let me ask you this, have you ever heard someone say about anything in life, oh, it's, it's, it's worth it. You don't understand. You got to do this. It's so worth it. You know what I'm talking about? Like maybe they just went and spent a bunch of money on something. They say it was so worth it. Maybe they went and had a $50 steak, and then they go, you don't understand, my friend. That is the best hunk of meat I've ever had. It was so worth it. They might say that, right? And if you have $50 for 10 ounces of steak, all I have to say is hashtag blessed, right? You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> or perhaps it's an artist, right, and they put a bunch of energy into something, and they're working really hard on a, on a painting or a sculpture, and they spend months or years on it even, and they get to the end of it, and if it's just right, and if it's what they wanted, they look at it and they say, you know, yeah, I, I know it took me a lot of time, it took me a lot of effort, but it was so worth it. It was so worth it. And people say this about life, and what we're really essentially defining is the idea of worship, that it's so worth it. When we, when we say that, we're saying, yes, it took a lot. Yes, we planned a lot. Yes, we sacrificed. Yes, we gave. Yes, we, we, we took a lot out of us. At the end of the day, we're, we're exhausted as a result of it. But on the other side of it, it was so worth it. And when we gather as the people of God, and we pull on that thread of worship, and we say that he's so worth it, he's so worth all of who we are, everything of who we are, well, then we start to see the story of God unfold right before us. Inside the church, you know what's interesting is I find us inside the church, people talking to me about this, me feeling it sometimes like there's some sort of pressure to get people to worship more. Isn't that weird if you think about it? Like, we're looking for some sort of demonstration to prove to ourselves that we're worshiping in a good way. You, you know what I'm saying? And so what does that mean? Does that mean we stand in the back and we go, we're looking for new hands during worship? And you know what I mean? Like we're counting hands. Like there were seven hands that raised during worship day. There were 17. Did. That person's new. They're worth two. They've never raised their hand before. You know what I mean? Or you're looking for, look, I think, there's, I think their, water, their, their eyes are a little watery. That's worth a lot. You know what I mean? I mean? What are we looking for? Are you with me? What are we looking for? Listen. Worship, for us, has to first and foremost be about increasing our faith and continually proclaiming the true gospel, which is that we were dead in our sin and he has made us alive in Christ. And if we continually say that over and over again to one another, the temperature of our worship will rise up. Because if we understand the full reality that we were dead in our sin and he has made us alive in Christ, we have no other option but to worship him. Isaiah responds to the presence of God. What does he say? He says, here am I, send me. He's not like, uh, you know, if I can make it work, I'll be there. You know, I got a lot going on right now, and as soon as I get done with those things, I'm your man. You know what I mean? Like, he's not, he's saying, here am I, send me. I was in the prayer room on Friday which, by the way, was an amazing time in there. I loved it. I, I am going to continue to push that because I've seen it be such an impactful thing in so many people's lives. But I was in the prayer room on Friday, and, and I'm looking at all the beautiful things that are written on the walls and that people have written on prayers and, 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 and just different things, which is just beautiful. You guys are very, very talented. Uh, I don't want to touch those things because I'll ruin them. Um, but I'm reading it, and it says, in two different places, I see people have wrote the sentence, 
here am I, send me. And I think it's interesting, right? I was like, that's, first of all, that's, that's beautiful because it's a beautiful sentence and it says so much. It's a, it's, a, it's a sentence of surrender, but it's also a sentence of devotion and it's a sentence of acknowledging who God is. And it's a sentence essentially of worship, isn't it? It's a sentence of saying, you're so worth it. Whatever it is that you want, send me. This thread that there's a glorious God and life is all about him. This thread of the grace and love of God. This obviously must mean everything to us. Because when the grace touches your lips, imagine, remember this cold touching his lips. When the grace touches your lip and explodes in your heart, then there's this natural, natural, wonderful, joyful response called worship. And it does come at times in a song, but it also comes in a shout. It also comes with knees to the floor. It also comes in our yes. It comes in our obedience. It comes in many different forms, but it's always a response. And you got to hear that. It's a response. So it never begins with worship. It begins with God. And because of what God has done for us, that he's given us clean lips. Do you understand that? He's given us clean lips. He's changed our hearts. He's given us a new mind and a whole new self. And because of that, now why do I worship? I worship because he's given me new lips. He's given me a new heart. He's given me a new whole self. I worship because of that. And listen, (laughs) do you realize that you're hardwired to worship? Like we were created for this purpose. Like you were hardwired to do it. There's a a verse in Romans 1 where Paul writes where where everything becomes a train wreck. Like I don't know if life ever feels like a train wreck, but this is probably why what I'm about to read to you. Uh, Romans 1, 21 For although they knew God, now, who's they? Everybody, humanity. Humanity sinned, the story begins, Paul's writing back, looking at people as they've tried to relate to God. For although they knew God, so they knew him, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. So again, Paul is writing about how humanity has turned away from God, but there's an interesting thing to note here and an interesting thing for you and I to notice today, and it's this, that worship did not stop, right? Worship didn't stop. They just quit quit worshiping the creator and started worshiping created things, Worship didn't cease to happen. It just got derailed and started worshiping something other than the almighty God. Do you understand that this is what happens? So like I said, you're hardwired to worship. So the person says, oh, I'm a reserved person or I'm not a musical person or I, you know, I'm just, worship doesn't come real naturally to me. Listen, you're hardwired to do it. You're like, I, I, I don't know. You don't have to learn how to worship, I promise you. You don't. You've been hardwired to do it. You, you don't need a class on worship. You don't need someone to teach you how to do it. You don't need anyone to say, well, you know, well, how do I adore? You know how to adore. Well, how, how, do I, how do I celebrate? You know how to celebrate. How do, I, how, do I, how do I get enthusiastic and excited about something? You know how to get enthusiastic and excited about something. I promise you, you do. You've been hardwired to do it. And for some of us, we do it all the time. For example, like there's an easy example, right? Sports. Sports is an easy example. We have the thunder here. We are in the playoffs. People, it's not going too well, by the way, but... People, 
People go to the game and they go nuts, right? They're wearing their thunder blue, they paint their faces, whatever. People do whatever they would. People shout. They give shouts, don't they? They shout at referees and TVs and people and they give shouts and they lift their hands and they clap their hands. This is sounding a lot like something else, but I'm just saying. And then this is what they do, right? And this is like the oldest illustration in the world. I get it, but it's not just sport. Maybe you're like, I'm not really into sports. I don't care about sports. Okay, maybe music and entertainment is your thing, and that's what gets the praise and applause out of you. Maybe, maybe something else is your thing. Maybe, maybe you shout out to the world about the latest advancements in technology, like you do not understand how great this piece of technology is, and you want to l- tell the world about it. Or perhaps you're the person that does a little happy dance behind the closed doors after the deal is done, you know what I mean? And you start giving high fives to everybody. You are hardwired to worship. So what does it say? For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Go down a little bit. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human being. How foolish we can be. I'll show you a few little pictures here that may seem familiar. <laughs> oh, a little Bieber action, Bieber fever. That's a little uh, Brazil soccer celebrating right in the office. Um, And, you know, of course, Beyonce for queen. This is just looking in a mirror, isn't it? This is what it's intended to do. It's just looking in a mirror for us to say, what is going on? We know God. But it's not just about knowing God. It's about glorifying him and giving him thanks, right? It's about actually worshiping the glory of God and the creator God rather than the created things. I think pictures like that, as silly as they are and as old as that illustration is, is just like looking in a mirror for me. You know what I'm talking about? I'm like, man, I can... I can get enthusiastically excited and celebrate and give praise and shouts and lift my hands pretty easily for some things in this world. But yet, it's a real struggle. Because maybe I've become too wise. What does it say? Oh, oh yeah, it says, they claim to be wise. Maybe we become too wise and too dignified when it comes to our Creator. Jesus told a story in Luke 17. He's on his way to Jerusalem from Galilee. This is his final trip to Jerusalem. You get it? He's going to Jerusalem to die for you and me. And he comes to a village, and there's a group of about 10 lepers. They approach him, and... uh, and I'll get to the, the verse in just a second, but you probably know some of, about the disease of leprosy, don't you? I mean, it's in the scriptures quite a bit if you're familiar with the story or maybe you just know what leprosy is. But at the time, it was one of the uh, terrible epidemics of the day, as most of us know, a terrible disease that caused the body to deteriorate in horrible ways where people would lose fingers and toes and ears and worse. And some, those who were who had this disease, they were always quarantined away from the city and they would wear bells around their neck and they would ring the bell if anyone came near to them and they would shout out, leper, leper. Can you imagine this life? They wanted to make sure, they, they thought it was extremely contagious, which by the way, it's not, it is contagious, but not extremely. Um, 
but they thought it was extremely contagious, so you would not touch a leper. And so they were warning people to stay away so they wouldn't get sick. Well, Jesus is going through the region of Samaria, which is not a friendly territory. As we know, Jews and Samaritans aren't necessarily, aren't necessarily buds. And uh, I'm, about, I'm about done, by the way. I'm just going to finish with this, with this story. But they, close, they lived close to one another, and the people in Samaria knew Jesus and knew the stories of Jesus. But I'm going to read this story, Luke 17, verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. So, in order for these lepers, by the way, to take off the bells and to be embraced back into the community, they needed an official release from the priest. They needed like a document, like an official bill of health, right? To be able to go back into the community. And so it says they, he sends him to go to the priest because that's what Jesus, like you go to the priest, you're gonna, be, you're gonna be cleansed and then he'll give you the official bill of health and everything will be good. This is what Jesus is saying. And can you imagine this walk though? It says, it says as they went, they were cleansed. Can you imagine this walk? They're walking and the dude is like, dude, your ear's back. The guy's like, oh my gosh, you, you had two, now, two fingers, now you have five. Dude, like, give me a high five, literally. You know what I mean? Like, this is like, they're like freaking out. That was funny. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Now, this is big, by the way, Samaritans, the work of Jesus, the miraculous, it throws race, prejudice, religious out the window. Doesn't matter anymore when Jesus is involved. Are you with me? Verse 17, Jesus asked, I love these questions by Jesus. Hey, we're not... We're not all 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this, this foreigner? Then he said to them, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Rise and go. Your faith. This is what we've been talking about. We need to rise up in our faith, right? And I love when Jesus, he's like, weren't there 10? I mean... I'm no, maybe I'm not so good at counting, but I am the son of God, so I think I got this. So only one comes back, only one gets it, right? The other nine, they did what Jesus said to do. Jesus said, go to the priest. They probably went to the priest. They're probably thinking, Jesus said, go to the priest. I'm gonna go to the priest. Maybe they were still waiting on their bill of health. Maybe they went to the temple to worship. Maybe they went back to their friends to celebrate. I don't know what they did, but they did not come back to Jesus, right? They didn't come back to Jesus in this moment. And here's what I, I love this guy does. This one guy, he comes back, he says, I'm not just going to celebrate what he did because I can celebrate what he did wherever, but I'm going to celebrate who he is. I was in the presence of Jesus. and I'm going to go back and I'm going to fall at his feet. And so often the temperature of our worship is related to how, how good we believe God is. And so we're having a good week and we're like, yes, we have some, God does something and we, and we celebrate it, right? And then we go on. And so Jesus tells us to go to the priest. We're like, I'm going to go to the priest. I'm gonna to go to church. Oh, oh, God, okay, Jesus said go to church. I'm gonna to go to church. I'm gonna to go to church. Oh, I'm supposed to give 10%. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try I'm gonna to try to give 10%. Uh, oh, oh, you, I need to, but, but that's it, right? That's, I'm good, I'm good. I need to get back to my life. I need to get back to all these other things going on, right? This is what's going on in the story. You get it? Like, they didn't, they didn't come back to Jesus. What about the times when 
things aren't going so good and you can't really see God. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like something's blocking the view. Pain and hurt is getting in the way. What do you do then? What about the times you don't feel like worshiping? Is it okay to not worship? I have not felt like worshiping many times in life. Anybody with me on that? Anybody ever come in to a church service and not really feel it? Anybody with me? Come on. Come on. Maybe you're, maybe you're there this moment. You're not feeling it. Listen, worship is not about a feeling. It's, it's not. Worship is not about an emotional response. Worship is an acknowledgement of not just what God has done, but who he is. Here's the deal. This one guy, he had something done for him, right? He was healed of a disease in which his body was deteriorating. And I just want you to know, if you know Jesus, your lips have been touched, and you've had radical grace come on you, and you've been healed of a disease that was going to deteriorate your life. Are you with me? You've been healed of a disease that was going to ruin you in your life, but he's already done that for you. So part of our worship is in response to that. But when we come in and we respond to it, it's also an acknowledgement of saying, you know what? I'm not going to go back to the life that I had. Maybe these nine guys did that. I'm actually going to run back to Jesus and I'm going to fall at his feet and I'm going to acknowledge who he is and that the glory of God, there's nothing else better and more worthy of my worship. It's so worth it, right? Every bit of, every bit of me, it's so worth it. And as a church, we want to declare that our worship is going to be more than just a song. It's going to be a song. It's in the Bible. It's going to be a song. But it's also going to be lives in the street and love in the neighborhoods. It's going to be hope in our schools. It's going to be linking arms with friends in our city and around the world. You know, Mike, I need to finish, but I just had this thought that I have to say because it really is what this is about. Sometimes, I said this earlier, we want you to go to the prayer room because we want you to want to go. And we want, I, I, here's my prayer, is I want our church to want to, I want our church to want to worship. We need to want to want to. Are you with me? I want my kids to want to do well in school. But I want them to want to do it because they want to do it. Not because I told them to do it. I don't want people here to say, well, you know, we're supposed to do this. I want you to want to do it. And so it's, 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 it's confusing, I know. But because here's, here's the beautiful rally. Like, we need to want to want to worship. We need to want to want to give sacrifice. We need to want to want to pray continually. We need to want to want it, don't we? But, but, but the thing about it is, is so many of us are going, I, I, okay, you want me to go to church? Yeah, I'm going to do that. Oh, you, God, you, Jesus told me to do this. And we're like, we're trying to do the least amount that we can do to get by instead of saying, I want to do the most amount that I can do to get by. Are you with me? Most of us, I, gosh, this is, this, is, this is not preaching at you. This is preaching at me. Most of us say, what can I, what am I supposed to do? I'll go do that. But then I got other things to get back to. Instead of saying, I want to want to do everything. I want to say, here am I. Send me. Send me. I believe a lot of us will relate to the nine of ten. We cry out to Jesus. We say, Master, have pity on us. We have a need. And as soon as that need's met, we go back to our life. 
So maybe our lives should be spent figuring out how to let things of the thing, let things go in this world that ensnare us and entangle us and that we get addicted to and attached to and learn to step into the freedom that we have in Jesus. So let's pray together. We're going to worship in just a moment, sing some songs, but let's more than just one. Um, but Father, I pray that, Lord, as we enter into worship, that, God, something makes sense of this sort of messy conversation today. But, God, I pray that, Lord, each and every one of us would want to want to, that we want to want to worship you more and to give you ourselves. God, I pray now that as we spend just a few minutes in song, that our hearts would maybe be moved in ways to respond to you and to your glory. We pray all these things in your name.